Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right. All right. First John. How many enjoying First John so far? Hey, I'm telling you, this is a real, real good series. I love, I love every summer we've kind of picked a book of the Bible, and, and uh, it's been really fun. I really enjoy just going through line upon line. So we're really going to get into a Bible study today. Say Bible study. We're really going to look at the Word, so I hope you enjoy that. You should get out whatever it is you use. Hopefully you got a real Bible. Not that the other ones aren't real, but ones you can put your hand on, mark up, and do stuff with. But I want you to track, want you to follow along, because I want you to own these texts, want you to own these scriptures, and, and just walk in the revelation that that Word has for us. A little quick recap, a little quick recap, because we're stepping into today. We're going to talk about who's your daddy. Amen. Who's your daddy? You got to know who your daddy is. And it's a really, really big deal. And I love the fact that we sang those songs again. You know, last week I talked about surrounded and George saying surrounded. Today I'm saying, who's your daddy? And George saying, your father, he's your daddy. You're his child. George, you are totally in sync with the Holy Ghost because I know I am. So, I mean, it's good stuff. Good stuff right there. So, listen, number one, the Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. And I really, really mean that. There's some people who say, oh, I take the Bible literally. So they, they take every little word and they think it has to apply to them today. A lot of the Bible doesn't apply to you at all and was never written to you. And so you don't have to try to figure out how you're going to make that happen. Pastor Cheryl, when she was in Jamaica, they, they asked her to wear a head covering and she just flat out said no. Because she said, you know what, you guys, that was written to us, but it wasn't written for us and it wasn't written for right now. And she said, I bless you, love you, honor you, but we don't do that back home. So, so they were, okay. <laughs> so there's, there's sometimes we take things totally out of context. Context, say Context. Hey, when you take things out of context, you can really mess yourself up and you can develop pretext for your own false doctrines. And that happens a lot. So you got to understand that this was a personal letter. It was a personal letter written by John. Jesus' best, best friend is BFF. I mean, John was, John was the guy. I know John wrote it himself. But he said, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. I'm the guy. And he was really close. But then John wrote this later probably in his 90s when he wrote this book. And when he wrote this book, that was after not just he spent time as a teenager with Jesus, because John was considered probably the youngest of all of the disciples. And so as a young man, he knew Jesus intimately, and he shares that with us. But then later on, when in his 90s, he experienced what happened with the church, what happened after the finished work of the cross, what happened after the ascension, what happened after it. He saw a lot of the church and how the church was born. So he saw Jesus working, not just in his physical body but working in the body of the church and he wanted to talk to the church he wanted to deal with some things because there was false teachers it says there were antichrists and there were false prophets and he said i want to make sure that we understand what the absolute truth is about the goodness of god so he wrote this letter so you got to do it and you got to keep it in context 
So he said Jesus was totally manifest. I mean, fully God, every single bit. A man became God. He said, I know that. I totally experienced him. And he said, you, the same intimacy that I had with him, even though physically Jesus isn't here, he says, in the spirit, and you can connect with him. You can fully experience him just like I did. And he says, and man, I want you to know that because I want you to experience and be filled with great joy. So he says, come on, enter into, be a part of the family of God. Now, Zach Sloan, I spelt his name wrong last week. Apparently, his name is Zach Sloney. Slow, I left the E out. It's right here. It's coming up right there. See, it's E. I didn't put the E on. So, Zach Sloney, I'm sorry about that. So, is that wrong? Is that not how you pronounce it? All right. But, but Zach ministered uh, twice in a row there while we were away, and so good. I mean, really good. If you didn't listen to it, you should listen to it, because it really needs to be listened to. And this is one of the things Zach said that really stood out for me. He said, this is not a prescription for Christian living. And sadly, uh, we together as a staff and things, we've been studying this and listening to sermons and, and reading commentaries and reading articles and really spending hours and hours and hours studying this book. And sadly, so much of what I've read and listened to has just grieved my spirit because people keep on teaching it as a test or a prescription or, you know, this is a standard that you have to achieve to prove that you're a child of God. And so people often read the book of 1 John with the wrong understanding of what John's trying to achieve. And he's not trying to, to put hoops and loops in your way. And he's not trying to say, these are standards. And if you're not hitting these standards, you're not a believer. And a lot of people, sadly, I've listened to do preach it that way. And they say, you're probably not a child of God if you're not doing this, this, and this. And it's really, really wrong. And it's not what John's trying to do. He's not trying to disqualify you or discredit you. He's trying to give you absolute assurance that you are a child of God. And so anything when it's preached that to, to, causes you distance from God, anything that when it's preached it causes you to feel like you're farther away from God, it probably wasn't God. It was probably a doctrine of men that, that you shouldn't have heard. Christian living, this is a description of what happens when you get placed in Christ. So when you hear things, you go, wow, that's, that's really heavy. That's, that's a strong standard. It's not a standard for you to achieve. It's a standard that is prophetically being released into your life that the Spirit of God is lifting you up into the experience of that. It's not something that you got to work hard to do. It's something that the Spirit of God who began the work in you is going to complete that work and he's going to bring about that beautiful revelation of the fullness of Christ in you because he's not going to quit on you. He's going to bring it fully into manifestation. And the way it gets thwarted is if you decide it's something that you got to do and then you take in your hands what only the Holy Spirit can do and you decide that through striving you can somehow perfect yourself. Good luck with that. You know, you didn't put yourself in and you can't take yourself out. You didn't put yourself in and you can't make it happen. But you can focus on the reality and focus on Christ. Focus on the author and the finish of your faith and see that he's going to bring about his desire in your heart, in your life, and in who you are. That was a good place to say amen. Say amen right there, even if you don't even know what I was talking about. Just say amen. You know why you say amen? Amen is like yum, yum. Amen is how you go gulp, gulp. Amen is how you eat the word of God. Amen is where let it be unto me. Whatever he said, I take it. Thank you. Amen, yum, yum, gulp, gulp. All right, so if you like yum, yum better, you say yum, yum. Just say, mmm, that was good. I'm going to chew on that. I'm going to make it a part of me. All right, so Zach Sloan, he said, Oh, sorry, Zach Sloan, he said, this is not a prescription for Christian living. This is the description of what happens when you get placed in 
Christ. First John 1 5, this is the message which we heard. This is the message which we heard from him and we declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness at all in him. In him is no darkness at all. Two types of people, you're either in the light or you're in darkness. How do you get in light? He puts you in light. We've been transferred. We've been conveyed into the kingdom of his own son. He conveyed us. He transferred us. Can I get a hallelujah? You didn't even have a role to play in the whole thing. He did it all. So he transferred you. He moved you. Even the fact that you have anything. He said anyone who says Jesus Christ is the son of God. Anyone who says that Jesus is the Christ does it by the spirit of God. It's not even something you do. It's the spirit of God himself that gives you that revelation and gives you the utterance. It's like when Peter said, ah! Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus went, whoa. A man had a divine thought from heaven. That's how we're going to build the church. Because it's not through men trying to figure it out or research. And I know all kinds of people. Jesus said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, all of those folks, he said, you read the Bible thinking that you'll find me in it. You read your scriptures thinking you'll... There's all kinds of people who studied the word and still missed out on God. God himself comes and enlightens you. And the spirit himself reveals himself in the scripture to you. It's not a, it's not a quest and a pursuit of man. When man said, we're going to go to God, they built the Tower of Babel. And you know, it says they were totally committed, totally united. And when God came down and looked at their hearts, it said he didn't look at the building, he looked at their hearts. And he said, they're so united, I got to disturb this thing because their unity is so powerful, they'll actually do what they've got in their hearts. So you can, there's, there's strong ability in man to do all kinds of stuff, but the flesh will never realize what the spirit wants to accomplish. Okay, thank you, pastor. Stop and take a breath. Last week talked about false teachers and the Gnostics and all those folks. So very simple recap on Gnosticism. Gnosticism, the teaching that the spirit is entirely good and matter is entirely evil. Really simple version of Gnosticism. It comes to two extremes, dualism, a terrible thing, ascetic teaching. You escape all the evil realm by harsh treatment of your body. Now, folks, there's teaching even in charismania today where people are doing a bunch of things trying to add to what Jesus did and thinking that Jesus did some stuff, but then you can add to it. And you can add to it and you can get into better spots and better places because, you know, and if you just read more and discipline your body more and watch the kind of things you eat and all kinds of crazy stuff. And they add to it. We get into even ascetic teaching in, in the Pentecostal church, the charismatic church that, you know, we got to strive to get closer to God. You can't get any closer to God than you are right now because anyone who's born of him is one spirit with him. You are one spirit with God. You've been brought into absolute union with the Godhead itself. You can't get any more united with God than you are today. And you see, when somebody tries to tell you you can get closer to God, what that does is, what did it say? It said, first of all, you're not close to him, so it creates distance. Now, who was the first liar who said you're not even like God? It was the devil. And the devil said to Adam and Eve, don't you want to be like God? Because who doesn't? If I said, who wants to be like God? You don't, oh, I do, I do. Here's the truth, you are like God. You, you've been absolutely transformed. You've been given the nature of Christ himself. You are in Christ and you're baptized in him and his very nature. You can't get any more like him than you are. Well, you're not revealing that. You may not be revealing that because you're listening to false teachings that keep you focused on your sin consciousness rather than on the nature of who you really are. 
And that's what we really have to focus on today because you get off in these ascetic teachings, then you also get off in the licentious teachings where all that matters is the spirit, right? So I can't get any closer to God than I am right now. I mean, I'm in Christ and he didn't put me in. I didn't put me in and I can't take me out. I am in Christ. You can't get any better than I am today. So it doesn't matter then how I live. It doesn't matter if I sin or what I do with my life because I'm as close to God as I've ever been. He put me there. He was going to keep me there. He's going to assure it. So it doesn't matter what you do. You can carry on, do whatever you want to do, and it don't matter because what matters don't matter. It's just the spirit, man, and I'm in him. And that leads to rubbish as well. That leads to people not caring about, does my life manifest the nature of God? I have the nature of God, but is the nature of God being manifest? And so, did you get that? That's just a recap, too. My goodness. All right, so the anointing. Here's the whole thing. The anointing is, is what he talked about when he said that's the difficulty. He said, how do you confront that difficulty? How you confront it is knowing this. The anointing, the sacred appointment, the unction, the function, which you receive from him abides in you permanently permanently so he says there's false teachings there's there's fleshly efforts there's all kinds of things out there how do we combat that by the revelation of this you are anointed so what do you focus on to move and realize and manifest the full maturity that you have what do you do you focus on the fact that i am smeared i am rubbed i am saturated and i'm pickled with the power of the holy ghost so when you're no, don't think you're making it focus on the fact that you've made it when you don't think you're making it focus on the fact that you've made it when you don't think you're doing well, when you don't think you're, you're measuring up, announce that I measure up. That's why we sing songs like, I am a child of God and that's what I am. We don't want to sing songs like, I'm a worm, I screwed up all week, I hope God accepts me. I'm a worm, I screwed up all week, I hope God accepts me. I come unworthy as I am, don't strike me with a lightning bolt. Oh God, take me as I am. That doesn't help you. It keeps you wallowing in just silliness when you need to announce I am a child of God and that's what I am and that especially needs some faith added to it when you haven't been manifesting his nature when you need faith when you had a really bad week I am a child of God I know I screwed up a lot but I am a child of God Okay, we're going to talk about that. You ready? Acts 10, 38, it says, God anointed the man, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost and power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. That was Peter's message. That was his gospel. The power of God came out of heaven. A man was smeared with it, and he fulfilled the calling as that God man. And now that same anointing is ours today because of the finished work of the cross. So the anointing is the massive answer to everything in life. Isn't that easy? It's a one-step sermon. You're anointed. Pastor, I got troubles. You're anointed. It's, it's that easy, isn't it? It'd be a real short sermon, wouldn't it? You're anointed. Amen. Shake hands. God bless you. See you next week. You're anointed. All right. First John 2, 1 and 2. A little backtrack for a second. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Sin. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Say sin. All right. He wrote this. Why? He wrote it to you so that you would not sin. Because if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Isn't that good? So if you do sin, and this was to believers, the other 
Chapter 1 was to unbelievers. When you confess your sin, he's faithful and just cleanses you of all your sins in the now, and he sets you free from all unrighteousness. But here in chapter 2, he's talking to my little children, talking to believers. How many believers have ever... Just bow your heads, close your eyes. How many believers, after being a believer, you successfully sin? Liars, everyone here. So you got to know, what do I do with sin? It says you have an advocate with the Father. And Jesus is that advocate, right? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is a propitiation. He is the mercy seat for our sins. And not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of those who confess. No, he takes away the sin of the whole world. What they need to confess is, I agree with what Jesus did. Jesus did take away sin, but some people are still under it because they haven't confessed and agreed with, he forgave me. He set me free. But you know, when you don't feel good about yourself, you have an advocate and Jesus is going to come alongside of you and he's going to stand with you and he's going to contend with you and for you and say, you are a child of God. You are free. That's not who you are. And he's going to help you overcome. Amen. So let's get to the text. Here we go. We're at 1 John 2, 28. That's where we are. We're going to read these 12 verses and we're going to talk about these 12 verses today. So I put them all up on the screen so that you can follow along for those of you who just don't follow along and have actually noticed that some of you just sit there looking at me. You thought I didn't notice, but I did. So I put it up on the screen for you so that you could follow along, all right? Don't let it happen again. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ except those who don't bring their Bible. Okay, <laughs> that's not true. And now, little children, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know, how do you, how do you have confidence in a, how do you have confidence at the coming of Christ that you're a child of God? Abide in him. Abide in him. How do you have confidence that the plane that is taking you to Toronto is actually going to take you to Toronto? Stay on the plane. I mean, get on the plane, stay on the plane. When the plane lands, get off the plane. All right, so Jesus is your Savior. He's going to come again. He's going to cause a new heaven and a new earth. And you know, when he appears, you're going to have a confidence because you stay on the plane. Abide in him, abide in him. And we'll have confidence. You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. How many are practicing righteousness? You know what? I'm going to practice some righteousness today. What will I practice? Hmm. I'm going to practice always telling the truth. You have lettuce on your tooth. You smell. You have a hole in your jacket. I'm just practicing righteousness today. I want to tell the truth to everybody. Well, that's just silly, isn't it? Anyways, I don't even know how I got in that. My wife's looking at me funny. She's shaking her head going to... But practicing righteousness, practicing righteousness. And everybody who practices righteousness, they are children of God. All right. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Listen to this. I mean, behold. I mean, wow, behold. Behold's a great word. It's like pay attention. I mean, look at this. Think about it. Reflect on it for a second. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. How many think that's a great word? Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for as we shall see him as he is. So, so we know we're children of God right now, and we know that when he comes, that we're going to be transformed and we'll be absolutely like him. So we know that something's going to happen. I'm a child of God now, and, and I'm going to be transformed when he comes. Give me another slide. 
First John 3, 1, what we are, children of God. First John 3, 2, what we shall be, we shall be like him when he comes. I don't know what that's all going to look like, but you know what? I shall be like him. What am I now? I'm a child of God. What shall I be? I'm going to be like him. And then verse 3, what sh we should be now? He who has this hope, he who believes that Jesus has come, he who has that hope of transforming and being just exactly like Christ, totally righteous and pure, everyone who has that hope purifies himself just as he is pure so boom there you go and everyone who has this hope does anybody have that hope does anyone have that hope that when he comes you're going to be in him you're going to find him you're going to be transformed anyone has that hope of jesus when you come oh what a transformation will take place anyone who has that hope what do people with that hope do they purify themselves hallelujah purifies himself just as he he is pure so we purify ourselves just as he is pure how many people find it whoa wow that sounds like a lot of work anybody feeling that at all from that text one person purify yourself even as he is pure and here's the standard of your purification as he is pure everyone who has this hope purifies himself whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness and you know that he was manifest to take away sins and in him there is no sin whoever abides in him does not sin yeah talking to you jockley was that a tough one right there did you think that was a rough one? Anybody else agree with Jocelyn? Because she started talking back to me right there. She started saying, oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me read it again for you. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Could you turn around and say, if you sin, you don't abide in him? That's not what it's saying. It's not what it says. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. How many know this could really beat you up right here? Anybody? Wow, Pastor, you just said God's good. You said any teaching like this that makes me feel less, that defeats me or deflates me. You're false teaching right now because I feel bad about myself. I feel like I don't add up. I got to be pure like he's pure. Wowzers. I actually came excited to come to church. Now I'm feeling like I had to go home and dig a hole. Give me another verse here. Help us, help us. Little children, let no one deceive you. So what is he doing? He's talking to false teachers. He's talking to false prophets. He's talking to antichrist. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous and he who sins is of the devil. He who sins is of the devil. Just turn to your neighbor and say, the Lord bless the reading of his word. Whoever sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The devil is the originator. He is the father of lies. He is the one who right in the outset said, come, let's live independently of God. Let's ourselves be our source. Let's not depend on God. Let's not live out of that union with him, but let's do it ourselves. And that's the essence of sin, to be selfish. The essence of sin is to take it in your own hands. And religion is constantly making you take your salvation, your justification, your sanctification, your glorification in your own hands. Just as he is righteous, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. Now, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the devil. 
Was Jesus manifest? Yes. Why was he manifest? To destroy the works of the devil, to destroy sin, to destroy the, the sin nature, to destroy the power, the corrupting power of sin, to destroy the devil and his power over you. Did Jesus do that? He absolutely did. So the devil, he was manifest to destroy the devil and the works of the devil. Who does, ever does not? Whoever has been born of God, again, listen, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Wowzers. If he says it once, he means it. If he says it twice, he must really mean it. And there it is again. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. A lot of other translations say practice sin. We're going to talk about that. So the authorized, the King James, the new King James, there's many who just leave it straight up. Anyone born of God does not sin. Other translations, they change it to practice sin. Why do they do that? They're trying to take the pressure off. Because you know what? I might have successfully sinned, but I don't think I practice it. So maybe I'm not so bad. We'll talk about that. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin. Now I took that out and put it in purple. Say purple. I did that because you can take that out. You can read it. Whoever has been born of God does not sin because he has been born of God. But that part in the middle is thrown in there. And many scholars say that that part kind of stands alone. And what he's saying is the seed, the divine nature that is in you cannot sin. That born again, that new nature, that, that new person, that new creation that never existed before, that connection with God where you became a new creation and all things passed away and behold, all things became new. That new creation can not sin, does not sin, does not practice sin, cannot sin because you've been born of God. In this, the children of, the God, children of God and the children of devil are manifest. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. In this, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Wow. We better get another slide because we got to move away from that. All right, you ready? <clears throat> Let me tell you something. Sin is wrong. Let me say it again. Sin is wrong. Yeah, not practicing it is wrong. No, sin is wrong. Sin is wrong. Isn't that good? Anytime sin is manifest in your life, it's wrong. What you just did was absolutely wrong. It is uncreative. It is uncreature. It is unnatural for a child of God to sin. Sin is wrong. Pastor. Let's all get to the altar and weep right now. Pray that God would forgive you. You are forgiven. But sin is wrong. Jesus conquers the devil and sin. Jesus is the source of your victory. God is my father, and he won't let me continue in sin. Okay, we're going to try and unpack that. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, let's try and unpack that for you. All right. Let me turn my page. All 
All right, so two types of people. We said that already, two types of people, those who are in the light and those who are in the darkness. And you see, in him is light, you're in the kingdom of light, and in him there's no darkness at all. So you're in the light, right? There's no darkness at all. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. There's only two types of people in this realm, only two types of natures. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. So you're either in the light or you're in darkness. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. There's only two types of people on the earth today, in light or in darkness, in Adam or in Christ. And in Adam and in Christ, we're dealing with two natures. And you have to understand natures. All right, Genesis 5, 3. And Adam lived 130 years, and he begot a son in his own likeness, in his own likeness, in his own likeness, in his own likeness, in his own likeness. See, after Adam fell forever, Adam began to bring and he, he transmitted in the whole of creation a different nature. Something different than Adam was created with, something was transmitted into all of mankind. And it says, after his own image, and he named him Seth. Nature, say nature. Nature, <clears throat> nature is inner self determined by birth. Inner self determined by birth. There's an Adamic nature. The Adamic nature is you're born spiritually dead. You're born fleshly, and you cannot even help yourself. You don't even know what to do. You, you can't. I mean, it's just broken. It's totally messed up. Do the best you can. But you're born, every one of us, born with that Adamic nature, born spiritually dead. So that's that whole Adamic, excuse me, Adamic nature. Now, John 1, 12 and 13 John 1, 12 and 13, but as many as received him, to him he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So it wasn't something you chose. You didn't even know you were lost. God himself came. Even that ability to believe and confess that he was the Christ that came from him, it was a deposit of God himself. So, but as many as received him, as many as got that revelation, said, you are the Christ. As many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God, born of God, born from above, not the act of man, not your act. You weren't smart enough to figure it out. I'm saved because I figured it out. I'm born again. I'm a child of God because I read the facts and I said, yeah, okay. Hey, big fella, I'll be your child. You know, he, you were born from above, you are born of God. And that divine nature is something that the very seed of God himself, that's what it said, that seed cannot sin. It's the seed of God that is placed in you. So there's that nature of God. In 1 Peter, uh, uh, or 2 Corinthians 15, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature, something brand new. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new, divine nature, the God-like, absolutely new, completely holy, free from sin. Oh, that's good. There's a few people actually paying attention. That's good. Y'all got kind of quiet on me, so. Sinners! Okay, just, uh, you know. New creation, God-like, absolutely new, completely holy, and free from sin. Amen. That's awesome stuff right there. Second Peter 1, 3, and 4. His divine power, what, what did this for me? His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. It's his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That through these, yet all these great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, flesh, 
You see, the flesh has no idea how to be pleasing to God, hasn't got a clue. But his divine power, that deposit of God, has come to you, and you are now a partaker of the divine nature of God. When you act outside of the nature of God, you are not behaving like your regenerated self. Pop, pop. You're not behaving like your regenerated self. So the interesting thing is a, a righteous person can do an unrighteous thing and it doesn't make them unrighteous. That's absolutely true. A righteous person can do an unrighteous thing and it doesn't make them unrighteous. That doesn't mean you should do it. But it happens and it doesn't change your nature. Just like I've said before, if I saw pigs rolling in the mud and I decided to jump over in the pen and roll around in the mud with them, I don't become a pig because I roll in the mud. I'm just a stupid person. <laughs> and I might get all dirty and all messed up. And Oh, look, Carl's a pig. <laughs> Even if I act like a pig and behave like a pig, it's never going to change the nature of who I am. Just like that, you're a believer. And you know, believers can behave like pigs, but it's not going to make you pigs. You are actually behaving not like your regenerated self. And that is, as I said before, that's when you really need faith. Because I don't feel like a child of God right now doesn't change the fact that you are. And that's when you need faith. See, there's something unseen in my life right now. The nature of God is not seen in my life right now, but it is mine. By faith, I confess. Me who doesn't feel much like a child of God right now. I am a child of God and that's very important and we got Jesus our advocate who always comes and completely backs you up on that confession amen because all your righteousness is through him every bit of it all right first uh, Peter three eighteen. for Christ also suffered for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring you to God he was put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit Jesus brought you to God he died for sins once and for all the righteous for the unrighteous Thank you, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become, in him, in Christ, two types of people, in Christ or in Adam, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Say amen. 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 Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's good stuff right there. All right. Uh, Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he became flesh and blood like us, so that through his death he might destroy the one who had the power of death. That is the devil. Did he become like us? Did he die on our behalf? Did he destroy the devil? For this reason was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Sin, the power of sin, the author of sin, the source of sin. Jesus has done away with it once and for all. He died for all. All of our sins he died for the power of sin he delivered us from the devil and every effect of the fall and he has brought us into Christ but we still sin oh, pastor you lifted us up and brought us right back down again <laughs> Romans 6 14 for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law but under grace What's the power of sin? It's the law. You're in grace. You're in the finished work of the cross. You're in the reality that you are the righteousness. Not because you're in grace. is not just mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. 
Grace is getting all the good stuff that, that God wants. Getting what, what you don't even qualify for. He qualified you. He made you holy. He placed you in him. He brought you into covenant relationship with him. And nothing can take you from his hand. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You can read that in a condemning way if you want, but I read it as a prophetic promise. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Hallelujah. Wake up and confess that every day of your life. Sin shall not have dominion over me. For I'm not a child of the law. I'm a child of the grace of God, the love of God, the wonderful, beautiful, free gift of God has been expressed to me and sin will not dominate my life. Thank you, Lord. Romans 6, 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves to sin, have become obedient. You, once being in Adam, slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to the teaching which was entrusted to you, having been set free from sin and having become now slaves of righteousness. Hallelujah. It's good to read the good stuff about yourself, isn't it? I am a slave to righteousness. I can't even help it. I'm telling you, righteousness. All right, verse 9. Verse 9 was pretty tough. Because verse 9 was straight up, you cannot sin. A child of God can't sin. A child of God cannot sin. Now, there's two ways of interpreting that verse. There's actually a whole bunch, but I put them into two categories. Because there's, wow, there's so many different views about this verse. So many theologians have tried to figure it out. Because it's a problem. When you read it, just like Jocelyn said, oh my like when people read that, I mean, all the other stuff, Paul says that you're justified by faith alone. But then if you sin, you're not a child of God. <gasps> it's a problem. It's something we got to figure out. What was John doing? And because John wrote in circles and rhythms and rhymes and more poetic than, 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 than linear like, like Paul did, I mean, we're trying to figure out, John, what are you saying here? That's why reading John without the proper lens of he wants you to have joy. He wants you to know you're a child of God. If you read it with the wrong lens, you can walk away condemned. But here's two basic views of verse 9. Number one, habitual. It's problem, my habitual, all right? That's where it says you practice sin. So what the writer was really saying is it's not sin, it's habitual sin. So John isn't saying that sin's the problem. Come on, we're all sinners, right? How many have screwed up this week? I mean, not me. I mean, not me. I've been pretty good. I'm just trying to identify with you who screw up all the time. But you see, some, some have a problem because they realize that the interpreters are saying, well, people do sin, believers sin, children of God still fail. So he can't possibly mean sin absolutely. He must mean sin habitually. So let's write into the text. It's never ever, this type of verb has never been interpreted this way before in the Bible. But because we're a little freaked out by it, let's change it to practice sin. Amen? I mean, come on. He's got to mean you're not born of God if you practice sin. Like you wake up every day and you do the same thing over and over and over again. Now that's wrong. Thank God you did it that way, Pastor, because I don't deliberately do that. I do screw up once in a while, and I've even screwed up and done the same thing in consecutive days. I don't know that I did it a whole week in a row, though. What do you mean by practice? I don't believe practice is what he means at all. Because if you believe that, then you're basically saying sin is okay. It's habitual sin that's not okay. Hello, do you get that? Because then you're going like, oh, I don't practice sin, so I'm not so bad. Sin is bad. Sin isn't bad because it's practice. Sin is bad all the time. 
Wow, Pastor, I never heard you go so hard after sin. We're not going to leave you here. But you know what? If you have not been somebody who really has given yourself a break because you might believe it's the practice thing. And overall, I'm a pretty good guy. Yeah, I fall every once in a while, you know. But hey, who doesn't, right? So, and look, John doesn't mean sin itself is the problem. It's the practicing of it. I think that's rubbish. And I think that's dangerous. Are you okay? If you want to keep on interpreting as practice, I'm still your friend. But I believe it means absolute. I mean, it means you are absolutely free from sin, absolutely free from sin. It's never okay. Do not do it. It's destructive. Well, I don't sin against people in practice. I just do it every once in a while. It's destructive. It's wrong. Let me say it again. Sin is wrong. Wow, thank you, Pastor. You've been so encouraging today. Warren Wiersbe, Warren Wiersbe said, the provision of our salvation originated in the love of God. And since we have experienced the love of the Father, we have no desire to live in sin. God, his love has been shed abroad in my heart and my bent is not towards sin. My bent is towards righteousness. But the righteousness that I do is not righteous because I wake up every day and say, I want to do good stuff. It's because that nature in me makes me wake up every day and want to do new stuff. Because the new nature, those born of God, they do righteous stuff. So you're really focusing on nature. You really got to focus on who's your daddy. Another quote, you're right, this is from A.E. Brooke, theologian, uh, wrote a really fantastic commentary on John's letters. He said, the fact that he has been begotten of God excludes the possibility of his committing sin as an expression of his true character. And we read that again. The fact that he has been begotten of God excludes the possibility of his committing sin as an expression of his true nature. Did you get that? And that's where Paul said, the new nature, the divine seed that is in you cannot sin. See, the, the new creation that God made you in cannot sin. Literally then, that person who is a new creation who cannot sin successfully did something completely unnatural. And when you sin, not practice sin, but when you sin at all, you've done something grossly unnatural. Are you okay? Are you guys still okay? Is this a grace church? It really, really is. It really, really is. But it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live an upright and holy life in this present age. That's in 1 Thessalonians. It's the grace of God that teaches us. If you're really walking in the grace of God, it teaches you the life of righteousness. It's the grace of God that does it. So it, there's no possibility of committing sin as an expression of his true character, though actual sin may and do occur so far as he fails from weakness to realize his true character. So when you fall short, you fall short generally because you're not living in the full manifestation of who you are as a child of God. It's not that you're not a child of God. It's not that you're not born from above. It's that you're not manifesting the full manifestation of the revelation that you are a child of God. How do you overcome not behaving like a child of God? Declare this, saying this, I am a child of God. Somebody said, that's good, appreciate that, and throw me a bone, it's awesome. You know, kind of quiet in here today. 
Though actual sins do occur, and they may occur, you may fail from weakness to realize your character. That's A.E. Brooke. Bob Wilkin, he wrote an article called uh, Do Born Again People Sin? He said, he could have hardly meant that Christ sins not at all, but those who abide in him sin, but not a lot. That was really good. I love that. You see, he cannot say that when you're in Christ, there's no sin, but then those of the, or who do abide in him, well, we sin a bit. And, and he didn't mean, he couldn't do that. That's where that whole practice thing is totally wrong. You know, because then you get that idea that, well, I'm in Christ, but I only sin a bit. Well, sin is wrong. You're in Christ and you do sin successfully and that doesn't take you out of Christ. But it doesn't negate the fact that John is really trying to appeal to, we really need to allow that pure nature of Christ to be manifest in our lives. We really do need to be loving all the time. We do really need to never talk about each other in negative ways. Why don't you talk about doing dope or something? Like, I don't do dope. I do talk about my friends in negative ways. But please, refer all my sins to the awful, heinous things like adultery and all that stuff. Don't bring it right down to my level where I talk bad about my pastor on the way home because I disagreed with his sermon. Don't do that. Call me and say, could we talk? And then we'll talk. And you could be absolutely right, and I need to be corrected. But don't talk about it to four friends and cause and so strife, because that is successfully operating outside of your nature. I just use that as an example. I'm not preaching because I've ever heard that. Honestly, you people leave me alone all the time. I think you think I don't need friends. I'd even like somebody to pick a fight with me. <laughs> just kidding. John's point is clearly that sin is never an expression of abiding in Christ. When we abide, we do not sin at all. Listen, wowzers. When we abide, we do not sin at all. That was a strong quote, wasn't it? But it's beautiful. It could hardly have meant that Christ sins not at all, but those who abide in him sin, but not a lot. John's point is clearly that sin is never, it is never, 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 never an expression of someone who's abiding in Christ. When you sin, you have successfully acted out of a nature that is not yours. It doesn't mean that you have two natures that are struggling. It means that you who have a divine nature actually operated like you have a fallen nature. Are you guys okay? Please tell me you're okay. <laughs> All right, okay. All right, let's, let's move on. I'm almost, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Uh, Helen Willenda. Helen Willenda. Who is Helen Willenda? She's the wife of Carl Willenda. Who was Carl Willenda? He was a tightrope walker. He was the father of the, what was it, the fabulous Willenda family? And he was tightrope walking in Puerto Rico one day, and the winds were high, and right there, and all these tourists, without a net or anything, between, you know, two skyscraper hotel buildings, the winds blew him right off, and in a horrified way, he fell to his death right there amongst a whole group of tourists. And it was a terrible thing. But here's what his wife said. All he thought about for three straight months prior to falling all he thought about for three straight months prior was falling. Sorry, let me read it properly. All he thought about for three straight months prior to his fall, three months straight prior to when he did fall, what was he thinking about? Falling. It was the first time he had ever thought about falling, always before he thought about nothing but walking on the tightrope. See, the enemy wants you to get a sin-conscious mindset. And you see, Hebrews talks about the fact that we've been delivered from sin consciousness. Delivered from it. I mean, the new nature delivers you from that sin consciousness. But you know, the enemy wants to get you focused on your sin. 
And you might think, well, pastor, you were trying to do a good job today too. <laughs> but John was straight up saying, hey, you know, sin's bad, don't do sin. And he said, I'm writing this so that you don't sin. But what he's writing to you about is you're a child of God. He's appealing to the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ in your life. And he's saying, look, when we screw up, let's appeal to our nature. Let's appeal to the love of God. Let's appeal to who we are as children of God. Like, what did he say in the first verse of chapter 3? Beloved, behold, I want you to pay attention. We are children of God, and that's really what we are. And now let me talk about sin for a second. <laughs> but he first wanted to focus you on the fact that you're a child of God. You're a child of God. All he thought about was falling. And you know, when, when we get a sin consciousness and we focus on sin and, and we're always trying to, okay, today I'm gonna try not to sin. Today I'm gonna do my best, you know, today. But if we approach it with an appeal to our nature and we'll address those things, then it's good. Now, let me move on to Hebrews chapter 10, verse two. It says, for the worshipers once purified who, have, who would have no more consciousness of sin. That's good, isn't it? For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sin. Now he's talking about the old covenant couldn't get rid of that sin consciousness. But the new covenant in Jesus, his blood penetrates all the way to deliver you from sin consciousness. So thank God we're born from above and thank God his blood has totally set us free. Hebrews 12, 7 and 8. If you endure chastening, hey, it's a good word right here. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, of which all have become partakers, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons at all. So remember, I was gonna try and tell you three things, and one of those things was, you're a child of God, but another thing is you have a father and you have a father who's absolutely committed to his nature being reproduced in your life. And thank God that when I screw up, he says, hey, come here for a minute. Come on, sit at the table for a minute. What's going on? What's up with that? Uh, did you see that? I see it all, Carl. I do, and I love you. I'm nuts about you. And you'll never be knocked out of fellowship with you're always going to be my child. Nothing can take you from my love and my grip. But I'm really committed to this not going on in your life. So talk to me. What's going on? Why are you doing that? What's happening? Well, I don't think anybody likes me enough or understands how awesome I am. I wish, wish people be nicer to me. And so, so I, I just threw a rant because how come people aren't nicer to me? And he says, well, Carl, where do you get your identity from? Well, I get it from you. No, you don't. You're trying to get it from what do people think of you. Carl, what I think of you should dominate your life. Who cares what everybody else thinks about you? So I'm trying to get my needs met somewhere else. Yeah. You're trying to get people to fill your cup when you know what? I'm the only one who can fill your cup. And that's the original sin, Carl. The original sin is trying to get your needs met outside of me. And when you do that, Carl, it's sin. I mean, just wanting people to like me can be sin. Yeah. It's not the adultery or the fornication. or all, Those are all bad. They're like good sins. Amen. Because when you do that, it, it's got a lot of root issues. Like, why do you have adultery? There's a lot of root issues behind adultery. I mean, why would I sleep with my neighbor's wife? First of all, I obviously don't love my neighbor because that would be very damaging to him and his relationship with his wife. I mean, there's a lot of broken things that come way before you commit the act of adultery. 
But Jesus wants to put the brakes on, and the Father wants to have conversations with you way before you get there, and he's constantly. I mean, even the Apostle Paul, he said, why do you keep on kicking at the pricks? I mean, I've been poking you for a long time. You're just not paying attention. Paul, you're my child. And there's often times when you're successfully missing it and screwing up and gossiping and talking about your neighbor and, and sinning by thinking less of yourself, and you're successful with all kinds of miserable stuff. He's always wanting to pull you in and have a conversation with you and saying, I love you. You're my child. This doesn't have to happen. But I get concerned sometimes that we think that some of that stuff's not terrible and awful because I'm not practicing. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. But sometimes we don't realize how bad some of that stuff is. Hey, wasn't that good? Hey, well, Rob, I mean, come on. Pastor, holy cow, give me a break, right? I mean, sometimes we got to just say, hey, what's going on in my heart? What's going on in my life? And keep showing accounts of what's going on. But, you know, the Father will always talk to you because he's committed. He's committed. He's committed to what he has done in you and the nature that he's deposited in you because you're born from above, born of God. He wants that nature to be fully manifest. Who needs a Kleenex? Huh? When you successfully behave outside your divine nature, you don't break fellowship with the Father. When you successfully behave outside your divine nature, you do not break fellowship with the Father. But the Father will manifest his love for you by having personal conversations about who you are. Wow, you have no idea how hard that was. That was a lot of reading and a lot of plowing through a whole bunch of false teaching to get to what's really God trying to say in these verses. He's trying to say, I love you. And he's trying to say, you're my child. That's what you are. And I'll never relax my grip on you. Even when you screw up, and you do, sin is nasty, wrong, and toxic. And you gotta deal with it. But all your sins are forgiven, come on. So what do I want you to do? I wanna write these things to you so that you do not Sin. Amen. Let's say sin one more time all together. Sin. <laughs> Come on, stand up with me. Praise the, Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, it's an act of God. It's an act of God himself. You know, if you're here today, and it's one of the things in this book is no one can say that Jesus Christ is Christ, that he is the Lord. No one can even say that except the Spirit of God empower you to do that. That's one of the things that John said. You know, it's not some act of your own self-righteousness. We all need God. We all need him. And he is our Father. And he's empowered us and given us his divine nature to be blessing, to be prosperous, to be successful. But the enemy wants you to get focused on sin. He wants you to get, you know, focused on your downfallings. He wants you to have this always consciousness of sin. Those who are focused on that, come on, stop it. You're born of God. You practice righteousness. You're born of God. That righteous seed is in you. You're born of God. You've got power. You're born of God. Jesus Christ himself destroyed the devil and all of his works. You're a child of God. That's who you are. That's who you are. And that's what you need to focus on. You know, if you're here today and you say, well, there's only two types of people in Adam and in Christ. 
I'm not sure where I am. I'm not sure if there's only two places to be. I don't know which one I'm in. I want you to walk out today with an assurance that you're in Christ. The fact that you're here, and if that's even working in your heart a little bit, that's the act of God himself working on your heart, and he is touching your life, and you are literally being born from above. That's, that's the seed of God being pressed into your heart and your life. And all you got to do is say, I receive that. To those who receive him, he gives the power. To those who receive the good news that you're forgiven, healed, and free. To those who receive that, he gives them the right to become children of God. But if you're here today and you say, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm child of God, child of Adam. In Christ, in Adam. I don't know. In light, in darkness. I want to be in light. I want to be in Christ. If that's you, I want to pray for you. And if that's you, nobody else is looking around. It's just you. But you need to do something for me. I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, I want you to put your hand up so I can see it. And I want to pray for you before you go. Amen? You ready? One, two, three. Just throw your hand up really high. Really high so I can see it. Anyone. Anyone at all. Can you folks see anybody back there? Did all the sinners go to the beach today? That's bad, eh, Pastor? Pastor, when you do that, I have to say that offends me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Well, thank God. Everyone here confesses I am in Christ. And everyone here confesses that I am a child of God. Thank you, Lord. I can ask those who are set up for ministry today. I know it's a long weekend, but you might need prayer. We're willing to pray for you, but I'm going to bless you and let you go. But if you're on the prayer team, can you come on up here this morning and just get ready to receive people and pray for people? Well, wow, what a good looking crowd. You guys are really awesome. And uh, I pray you have an amazing long weekend, just a time of refreshing, a time of fellowship. Pray you bless each other. Pray you be blessed in Jesus' name. So the altars are open. If you need prayer, please come. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful fellowship. Thank you for this beautiful congregation. Thank you for this family where we together, we together are rubbing each other, rubbing against each other, pressing each other, provoking each other, annoying each other. We're doing all kinds of interesting things, one another's. I think there's also a lot of we're loving one another, we're encouraging one another. We're provoking one another onto good works. We're being kind to one another. We're inviting one another over to the pool for a swim. We're inviting all, we're doing all that stuff. And thank you for this beautiful family right here. I love them deeply. I have incredible affection for them, myself, and you've poured your love into my heart. And so, Father, I bless them today in Jesus' name. I command them blessed, restored, healed. I command your life to erupt in their hearts. And I command every desire and passion that you poured in them that it comes into full fruition and demonstration. Lord, I command them blessed in Jesus' name. In the name of the Father, great Father, the Father who loves us deeply. In the name of the Son, who is our partner, joint heir, who has seated us and placed us in him in heavenly realms. And to the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, you are my partner and my friend. You're with me every moment of the day. I command the blessing of the Godhead, the blessing of the Trinity to be upon each and every one of you, to propel you and move you forward and to bless you in all you do. In Jesus' precious name, amen.